We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with chess players, personalities, authors, and adult improvers about their lives, their careers, and about chess improvement. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have the OG guest of Perpetual Chess joining us, the number one guest, the first guest. Joining us again, he is the Pro Chess League Commissioner, the U.S. Chess School founder, former YouTube video maker, and now back on the show, I am Greg Shahadi. How are you, sir? I'm really good. Hey, what's up, everyone? I noticed you forgot to mention that I beat Lawrence Trent twice in, in that intro. Yes, I forgot to mention your biggest <laughs> your biggest achievement uh, at all. There's uh, online important. and offline people. Online people very familiar with these grudge matches with public mm-hmm. gambling that have taken place. For offline people, you can check them out on YouTube. But being that Greg mentioned them, we know that he must have won. That is correct. No, I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> don't ruin the surprise okay so you and, should watch who knows who wins you know so if you were to i can't tell with the discourse um between you guys how much of mm-hmm. it is serious and how much of it is uh just like um uh for the for the clicks you know how much you guys just don't get along if you were to run into lawrence trent 
on your way to your local Wawa, um, what would the the interaction be like? What do you think, Greg? It'd probably be fisticuffs. You know? <laughs> so I, w- I don't <laughs> they know, would, man. They would, have, they would have to separate us for sure. That would be an interesting matchup. I mean, you're you're obviously really. big on the CrossFit, as we talked about before, but Lawrence is mm-hmm. into the chess boxing, so um, might have to make that happen. But all right, let's get to the 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 broader scale chess. So, Greg, I thought that we would start off today with we've had some sort of big news items and controversies lately for those who follow sort of uh, the big tournaments, but also online chess. So, I thought that we would start with one that people were talking a lot about. Um, Ali Reza Farouja, this young, incredible talent, um, recently, he's from Iran, but recently uh, announced that he will no longer be playing for Iran. He's been living in France. It's not entirely clear yet what country he will represent, but he had an amazing showing um, in Moscow at the World Rapid and Blitz, and he had a game against Magnus Carlsen. A lot of you listening, I'm sure, saw what happened, but basically there was some controversy uh, involving the rules of speed chess. Um, mm-hmm. where he had more material when he flagged. Um, and Magnus only had a bishop, but there was a way to construct checkmate if Ali played the worst moves in the history of mankind. <laughs> um, if he suddenly decided he wanted to lose, he could lose. So mm-hmm. the game was declared a loss rather than a tie for no checkmating material. And yeah. then he was also complaining that Magnus... Um, was talking and disturbing him when he was very low on time. He may have just been upset by the whole thing. Um, but anyway, Greg, what was your take on this whole hubbubaloo? Well, first, it made me think of a potential rule change that I think would make more sense in these situations. And that is, like, if a mate can be constructed without you having to underpromote your pawns, ah. You know, because I feel like these under promotions are, are where it becomes ridiculous. If you just eliminate that as a possibility when you, you start to think about legal checkmates, I feel like then all of a sudden it's at least it's at least more reasonable. So that's one thing I would change to the laws of whatever FIDE rules. Um, that way, the game would have been a draw. I think. Yeah. I assume. Yeah, it would have. Um, other than that, like, there's actually not that much it's controversial about it except for the fact that it was like it was so shocking you know like uh Ferugia, you know first he flags and he's just annoyed about flagging because like he knocked over his king went to pick it up how did he fly how do you take three minutes to go like king g4 or something <laughs> or three seconds I, I don't even like it didn't look like he was going that slow but somehow he was yeah, I was watching it live, and it was kind of, I mean, it was riveting for the most part. But yeah, the the very last seconds, it's that classic feeling you're watching. And it's not like I had a big rooting interest, but I just didn't want to see someone flag. So you're, like, I didn't want it to end, for one thing. Uh, so, you, so you're sitting there watching, going, just move, just move. But yeah, he was a little slow at the end, although definitely that's not a, an overall problem of his game. And it's an increment time control too, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was a one-second so- increment. Oh, one, I, you know, I wasn't following that closely, but you know, in those increment time controls, you just make a bunch of moves, build up some time on the clock. Although in this position, he had to, if to, in order to win, he actually played, had to play accurately. So it made sense to like think more. And also I'm sure he thought, well, even if I flag it to draw. So, you know, he's not, it, he didn't ever think he was at risk of losing. But so like, what's funny is then like he, 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 in his mind, he, he flags and he thinks he's drawn, right? 
And then, you know, they're just chatting, I think. Like, he doesn't... It dawns on him, like, a little later that they're telling him he actually lost. Because at some point, he makes this face, like, what? Like, his, right. His, uh, <laughs> his face just kind of blows up. Uh, and then he re- resorts to the whole Magnus was talking to me thing. Um, and I like when the Arbiter says something like, why didn't you stop the clock and get an Arbiter? And it's like... That, that rule, I find, is completely absurd. Like, the Ar- in a Blitz game... Um, you're terrified to stop the clock with like four seconds left. You know, you stop the clock, you do it wrong, you lose on time. You know, like nobody knows how to stop a clock and nobody knows what the penalty will be if you stop the clock and the arbiter feels like it wasn't warranted. Like the, war- the, the arbiter should be there and be like on top of stuff like that. So I don't think the arbiter should have told him he, he should stop the clock in that case. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It feels, it feels very... Um... Board one, right? Like, yeah. Pay, pay attention to the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it feels like a violation to stop the clock at all times. I mean, it feels like even restarting the clock, even if nothing changed, it's just like it it disrupts the flow of the game so much. And like, if you only have two or three seconds, are they really going to time it just right? Um, yeah. So, and you know, I mean, the only time I think it's okay to stop the clock is let's say you make a move, like you move your pawn to f five or something, and then you accidentally knock over your rook for like half a second. Uh, and let's say both players have 15 minutes, then I think it it makes sense to stop the clock and kind of like get an arbiter. And... Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious, yeah. Uh... That makes sense. And by the well, way, just what was he doing? What was he doing in that game? The Nakamura? What was Jigaku Nakamura, right? Jigaku Nakamura. Oh, I don't remember. No, I, oh, I guess I didn't know what you were referring to. Inside joke. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. I, before we before we clarify that, right. I just bef- I just want to mention it's actually three minutes with two second increment. Just just to be clear. Oh, so um, you can really build up. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, okay. So Jigaku Nakamura. So you didn't watch this video? No. <sighs> um. So basically, Hikaru made a move, and then like while he hit his clock, he hit his clock, moved his hand. Back oh, to, like, oh yeah. Okay. His lap, I know what you're talking about. And then yeah. knocked over a rook for like. A I forgot the guy's name. Yeah. I, so many yeah. people were up in arms on Twitter. How could I miss it? I, yeah. What was he hoping to achieve by this? Yeah. This um. Did he want Nakamura to get like a second consecutive move or something? Like I don't know. Yeah. Do you so, want to be immediately forfeited? Yeah. So for no. listeners, this one's kind of I think tough to explain. But Greg, could you flesh it out a little for anyone who didn't see the video? Sure. Hikaru played the move f5 with black. Uh, then he makes a move, or he hits the clock, and then accidentally like brushes against his rook, knocks it down for like a millisecond, picks it back up. Both players have like 15 minutes left. The game's just started. And then Jigoku stops the clock and asks for an arbiter and kind of tells them what happened. And I don't know what he's asking for or what he wants from this. Like it was a clearly not intentional, just random drop of a piece. for. Yeah, I guess second. it was for adjusting the piece on his time. But it was like what know, can he totally do? Innocuous thing. The piece fell over, and Jukaku thought about it for like thirty seconds before he. Yes, did it. it was a great psychological ploy. You gain thirty seconds on the clock. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, a lot of stuff like that recently. So I'm glad we got your opinion <laughs> on that. And I actually love the idea about under promotion because uh, Chess Twenty Four had a nice write up. I think it was from a tournament director. Apologies that I don't recall his name, but I'll, I'll link to it. Um, where he talked about, he just broke down the rule and said, okay, this is not a perfect rule, but there are no perfect rules. The one that currently exists about if a checkmate can be constructed, then no matter how ridiculous the checkmate is, if mm-hmm. a sequence of moves that like could possibly occur where the one side can get checkmated, then it's not declared a draw, it's declared a loss. Um, mm-hmm. But 
I think that this is definitely an improvement to do it based on um, not using under promotion because so many of the cases, the most extreme cases, but it is important. The most important thing is to have, I think, uh, limit like judgment calls as much as possible. So, sure. So I like that your rule still still enables that to happen. Yeah. You're good with these rules, man. Well, I feel like it would just it would just be more logical. Like yeah. more logical results would occur. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then we have our other uh online blitz, I guess you could call it controversy <laughs> or etiquette question. Greg Greg knows where this is going. So uh-huh. this is again, those of you listening who are extremely offline more power to you. Congratulations to you guys. First of all, you're probably, uh, you know, reading books and like spending time with other humans and stuff. And, you know, I commend you on that. But meanwhile, the the chess internet has gone crazy over this uh, Kamsky Chess 24 video. So Gata Kamsky, I've been on the show. I had great interactions with him. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved I loved his book. Um, legend of the game as we'll get to huge huge legend um so he's playing in the chess 24 blitz Blant banter cup do you remember the name of the gentleman he was playing greg yeah cristobal hernandez okay so he's playing oh, sorry, sorry sorry cristobal henriquez i think yeah so they're playing and um they have a time scramble very epic time scramble this like uh this game there's no increment whatsoever so i believe it is three zero very fast time control uh-huh and Kamsky gets flagged in a game where he was rook and pawn against rook and he was down a pawn, but he, it was a drawn position though. He gets the pawn um, and the, but he only has like a second left and then he flags with rook against rook. Um, So that kind of set him off. And then about six, seven minutes later, he basically rage quit in the middle of the match. And what was his quote, Greg? Um, you know what's funny? I forget the third word. It was like F bomb legend. What was the other word? Uh famous. I'm a famous uh, effing legend. Ah, uh, an FFL or F. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so this just went went viral. I mean, he said some other things too. So <laughs> Greg, we're not we're trying not to curse here anymore. Did I say the word? I believe you did. <laughs> really? I said it under my breath very Okay. Quietly. She, you know, they're, no, no they're children listening. Turn um, it down, everybody. Especially with, with your show, you know, the... Um, the Why aren't we cursing? Fo- founder of the U.S. Chess School. Uh, we are family-friendly friend- podcast. Yeah, but you do talk about, like, the Scandinavian defense in the show sometimes, right? <laughs> That's true. Quite vulgar. <laughs> That's um, a lot worse than cursing. <laughs> all right. Um, so, anyway, this was another sort of controversy about the etiquette mm-hmm. of, I mean, the broader question. Uh, and again, <laughs> we'll link to this for anyone who didn't see it. Um, but the broader question is, what is the general etiquette of when you can flag someone and when you can't in dead drawn oh. positions um, like Rook I against I thought Rook. your question was going to be, when should you be able to declare yourself a famous <laughs> effing legend? Well, if that's the question, then Kamsky qualifies. Let's be clear. I mean, he really is. He's... I mean, his accomplishments are absolutely incredible. So, you know, it might yeah. not be the best bedside manner for him to be the one to say it, but he's not wrong. Um, <laughs> but what about the rules, Greg? What oh, I mean, I or the etiquette, him. rather? I'd gladly flag him in a competition like this, in yeah. like a in like a friendly game at the park. We're just hanging out. I give him a draw. You know? <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I think there's no rules. And online, you can do whatever. Well, you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, and I, I think it's, it's just it's more of like a it's it's mostly chess, but it's it's like some video game elements to it also. Yeah. When there's no when there's no increment. 
Yeah, I basically agree with you. I mean, certainly there are situations where it should it should be frowned upon. I don't know if there can be rules in place. Like if you both have 45 seconds in Rook and King against Rook and King. Um, yeah. But this was not even a gray area, in my opinion. I mean, he didn't really have time to offer a draw. Um, well, that's I, the thing. Like, yeah, you know, like you don't have time to even react. By the time you press a draw, the guy's flag is, <laughs> the guy's yeah. time is up sometimes. You know? Now, okay, maybe it was a theoretical draw even before Komsky mm-hmm. got the pawn. Um, and then it's, but then it's already, I mean, you have a pawn, you have an extra pawn, like you don't have to give someone a draw when you have an extra pawn. It's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't even have to think about this. Clearly the, the, the flagging was completely justified in every, in every imaginable way. Um, yeah. but also Kamsky's reaction was super justified because it was awesome. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. I mean, so, Jen, Jen, yeah. your sister was on Twitter saying the chess world needs more of this. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's entertaining and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, and it's supposed to be emotional. You're supposed to want to win. Yeah. So, so totally. like, you know, I'm, I'm have no idea, but it's entirely possible that, that, Grandmaster Komsky would would do things slightly differently if it were to happen again, but it's um it's not like totally beyond the pale. He doesn't, you know, he forfeits the match and li- life goes on. I love that he said I'm a famous effing legend. <laughs> That's a good. That's quote. what he decided to think. And shouts to Chess Twenty Four. They've already to say. they've already got merchandise on sale. Um, yeah, they've already got T-shirts and coffee mugs that say that. Um, <laughs> So that was uh, controversy number two. And yeah, it just shows with Blitz, especially without increment, but even with the low increment, like the the uh, World Blitz Championship, um, there's going to be gray areas. Um, and then we get to the actually more serious question, although quite slightly less newsy, because this is a, mm-hmm. an, a one, one that's been unfolding over a span of months. But yeah. we've got the FIDE Candidates uh, World Championship uh, tournament coming up in March in Ekaterinburg, Russia, um, and March fifteenth to April fifth. Uh, we now know who the contenders will be. Uh, those of you who heard my interview with Jan Gustafsson last week heard us talking about it. It wasn't set in stone yet, but now it is. Fabiano Caruana, Timur Rajabov, Ding Liren, Wang Hao, Alexander Grishuk. Ian Napomniachi, Anish Giri, and Kirill Alexenko, which brings us to the mild controversy about this idea of having a wild card selection. Um, so first off, Greg, do you mind just for anyone who isn't familiar explaining how the wild card works, or I can hop in if you want? Oh, sure. I mean, the organizers just pick somebody, but they have to be like above, but they have to be above 2,700 or something. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, they do set some thresholds and to be clear Alexenko is the wild card and he's number 37 in the world mm-hmm. uh these other guys are all in the top 10 um yeah so all of them though no. yeah um i mean you Wang, know all Wang of Hao. them oh. yeah uh Rajabov? oh wait no not Wang Hao. good point um Rajabov can't be top 10 either. he actually i he is 10 as of wow when i wrote this outline but but not Wang Hao. um but anyway i mean they're all like you know, it's not a huge upset. Wang Hao, obviously, yeah. that one was a bit of a surprise, but he won. He qualified in um, very uncontroversial fashion. It was whoever wins the uh, the FIDE Grand Swiss, as they're now calling um, Isle of Man. He won that tournament, which the winner of that tournament gets a spot in the candidate. So no one's arguing with that one. But there's this um, tradition of having a wild card 
entry, which basically the idea is that it entices sponsors because they can kind of put their thumb on the scale a little <laughs> bit uh, in terms of who gets in. So uh, Maxime Vashir Lagrave seemed like the most obvious, um, like uh, best player left out. He just missed qualifying um, naturally. And then, mm-hmm. so he wrote an open letter or his manager wrote an open letter saying he'd be happy to play Alexenko for a match. Just today, as we're recording, an interview came out with uh, Peter Doggers of chess.com uh, and Maxime Vashir Lagrave, where he was saying he hates the wild card system. Um, what, what's your take, Greg? Oh, I hate, I mean, obviously, I don't like the wild card. Anyone who likes the wild card is kind of, nobody likes it, really. I don't think. But. I also think, you know, this 2,700 number, it needs to be raised a bit. Like, this guy, Alexenko, great player. You know, one day in the future, he may qualify for the candidates on his own. Who knows? But he just doesn't deserve to be there in any sense of the word. Everyone knows that he doesn't deserve it. He has no business being in this tournament. Uh, you know, maybe a good way would be like, hey, you can pick somebody in the top 10 who didn't qualify. Or something like that. Um, so somebody like MVL or some other like super legend who didn't qualify normally, they have the right to invite them if they want. But I don't like I don't like reaching all the way down to thirty seventh. That's a bit, or maybe even top twenty. You know, like if you look at the people in the top twenty, there's no one on that list I think who would be like, whoa, you know, why are you inviting this guy? But Alexenko is kind of in that category because he just hasn't accomplished enough yet. He's just recently become 2,700. Super strong, super talented, but you know he shouldn't be in the candidates. Although one good news about having a guy like him in the candidates is when there's somebody like a little bit weaker, it creates like these decisive games that happen more frequently, which re- result in like more fighting chess. I feel like. Yeah, I don't know, like you, you see these tournaments when there's like a like Vikanzi or where there's like a bunch of lower rated players and just people have to win certain games and it creates like this kind of oh, these imbalances somehow. Yeah. Uh, I get, I get your broader point. I'm actually, I'm not like, I think of course in a perfect world, I would not want there to be a wild, this, this wild card thing. Um, yeah. One thing just to clarify is Alexenko, he did do quite well in the, uh, the knockout tournament, the, um, the World Cup, the FIDE World Cup. So that's sort of, with whatever guidelines they have in place, that's like mm-hmm. why he was at the top of the list because he's not just like, if they just went to like the next best Russian, which, yeah. you know, since the tournament's in Russia, presumably the sponsors want as many Russians as possible. Sure. Um, if they just went to like the next best Russian, it would have been a top 20 player, someone like Vichigov. Um, Vichigov's top 20 these days? Yeah, he's 19. Oh, wow. 19. But so um, it would have been someone a little bit higher, but yeah. they did try to have, I mean, it wasn't just totally random. Like they tried to do it based on performance because Alexenko, despite being lower rated, narrowly missed um, at the FIDE World Cup. Where did he get in the World Cup? I think he finished third or fourth. I mean, he made the semi Sorry, sorry. The final four. So uneducated. Did he really? Yeah. It wasn't the final eight. Like, didn't MVL play against Yu Yang Yi in the final in the third place match? Uh, let me double check my. Facts. Whereas Ding Liren played uh, whoever Rajabov in the final. I thought. So that would mean Alexenko couldn't have been in the final. Okay, team. my mistake, I guess. But it was based on that tournament that I mean, there. 
I should have been, I should have these facts down, but, um, but it was, I mean, there was a formula basically, um, that he didn't, uh, that made him the best Russian candidate. Um, they already got two players. Yeah. That's what MVL was saying in the interview. Um, I don't and, know. I just, just but the other thing, what I what I want to get to the bottom of that I'm, I, you know, it might be known, it might not, is are they giving money? Are they adding to the prize fund in order to get an additional uh, Russian player, or is it just like, hey, we'll we'll do you a favor since you put the money up and get an extra Russian? Like, is it explicit? You know, yeah, it's and, probably the latter. Um, if you if you sponsor it, you get to choose one wild card. I, I'm guessing. Yeah, I would think so. So in also, that case, like I mean, it's just less money in your pocket. So I, I get that MVL is complaining, but until there's others, and he's saying he said in the interview, chess is on a good trajectory overall. There's yeah. good sponsorship, but the bottom line is, it's just less money if they don't do it this way. So I don't know. I maybe. don't think it's that cut and dried. But they can also have more regulations in what people you can invite. You know. I still don't think this. I don't think Alexinko has done enough in his career to like get a gift of the wild card here. But we'll see what happens. I mean, he probably you know, there's still a good chance he won't finish last. He's a good enough player to, to do pretty well. Uh, you know, another thing about the candidates that this is going to be super insulting. What I'm about to say. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I noticed Geary qualified by rating, and it's like I feel like he never does well on anything. Like I, I'm sorry, like. How come his rating's so high? Am I imagining it? Like, I he's super funny, and obviously he's really, really strong. But, like, he's that high rated? I th- I think he just doesn't lose very often. I mean, he's... It's just, like, he just seems like he has no chance to win a tournament like this based on, like, how he does. Uh, yet he qualifies without even having to do anything. I don't know. It's just, like, surprising to me. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't really agree with that assessment. I have to say, which assessment? The the assessment that he's like doesn't have a chance. Yeah, I mean, just like any. I mean, okay, him not playing, him him backing out of the the Grand Swiss. Th- that he came. MVL was critical of again in this interview. Other people have been. Grishak yeah. was critical of it. That I I can understand people complaining about basically protecting his rating in order to make sure that he got the one slot that was allotted yeah. based on on rating. But yeah. other than that, I mean, he's earned every rating point. Just like no, but where else. I I'm not saying he hasn't. It's just really surprising to me that he's because okay. like, I mean, I... like MVL like wins things. He beats Carlson in matches. Like every now, I mean, he. I feel like he just has like a much more like storied career or some somehow. Whereas here, he just kind of like floats around in like fourth place in every tournament or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think his variance is lower. Maybe it's just like there's something feels wrong about that. Because this know. tournament, you have to get first, and you know he's probably not going to get first. Like okay, just, but I mean he qualified. Yeah. <laughs> I mean because well, I don't, I don't I just feel like there's something about I don't know I just feel like somebody like he shouldn't be automatically qualifying. Like I there mean, should be some difference to how how they determine it. I and mean, also, I'm just really surprised he's that high rated. That's all. Okay, I mean he's been like number three in the world at times. No, so. I know, but like I feel like he never wins a tournament. No, that part's true, but I mean it's just like you it's know like surprising. It's like you're arguing what should be instead of what what is, and you know the the scoreboard don't lie. So no, I no, I just like I don't know. I just I, surprising to me. That's all. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I wish MVL with him because I feel like he's a great, exciting. He would make it more interesting, like for sure. It's true. Uh, but, Gary will make it interesting because of his tweets. Like, he has really yeah, good tweets. No, he has a chance to win. Uh, <laughs> I eh. mean. 
whatever. I, I, everyone, everyone has a chance, of course. Um, but I wouldn't put him in the top three, for sure. Not like I mean, somebody like Nip- Nippo should have a much higher chance. I feel like just because of his like kind of variance, like he wins a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, you could be right, but it's just one tournament. Um, all right, so. Yeah, a lot going on in the chess world, but obviously (laughs) we're all looking forward to the candidates, um, seeing who will get to play Magnus, even though uh, Magnus is looking pretty tough right now. But but Greg, I mean, uh, of course, the the main reason we have you on right now and that we may, in fact, release this episode a teeny bit early is the Pro Chess League. The commissioner himself. Um, So big changes. Uh, Ratings cap eliminated. League size retracted to 24 teams, no more relegation, and it's basically done based on country now. So what's the story behind these major changes to the Pro Chess League, Greg? The story, why they were made? Sure. Um, Well, they weren't, okay, I'm going to be honest, they weren't my call. I was kind of against them at first. Uh, because I really liked how things were going. But now that I've seen some of the results and seen some of the work teams have put in to form like these super strong teams, I actually think it's going to be really exciting. Um, like, you know, a team like St. Louis, uh, the lineup has just come out, like who they're playing in the first match. And their team of four is Fabiano, Lanier Dominguez, Wesley So, and then Le Quang Liam. So that's four players above 2,700. I think their average rating is like 2,760. Uh, and, you know, a team like that's going to be competing against the, the national team of China and, like, India and, like, these really powerful teams. And so, like, suddenly things are getting really serious. Uh, the teams that want to win have to offer, like, real money to, like, players. So it's going to help players professionally, you know, the top players, because there's real incentive to get those top players in your team. Um, like... The chess bras team is ridiculous strong. Like they have Grishak, uh, Faruja. Uh, they also got guys like Ivan Saric. Oh, Giri's on their team also. Um, so like they're going to be super super strong. Uh, New York is the New York Marshals, like named after the Marshall Chess Club. They got Hikaru Nakamura, uh, and in fact they're going to play Hikaru. Um, St. Louis went after him. You know, they wanted Hikaru on their team, but Hikaru doesn't, he's not the kind of guy who wants to just join like the top team with all the best players. He wants to take them down. So he took a, he took a role with a different team and he's going to be playing against St. Louis in week one. Uh, it's going to be Hikaru, Sam Sepion, and two other 2,600 players playing against those four, you know, famous legends that I mentioned. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be like these matches of just like, huge heavyweights facing off. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to have a, like a seven-week regular season. You're going to have like a really exciting playoffs. And these teams are just going to be so strong. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be really good. And, and even the teams that like are not like super... Like a team like Turkey. You know, you wouldn't expect them to be like, like some chess powerhouse. But their average rating is above 2,600 in the first match. That's legit. Four players all above 26. I think everyone on the team in the first week is above 2,600 for them. So that's like also really strong. So, yeah, it should be interesting. And what's the starting yeah. date, Greg? 
Uh, start on the 6th. Check okay. Monday. And, and each week, generally, there will be matches on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We have three divisions of eight teams. Uh, and, yeah, that's basically the format. Okay. So, yeah, we'll try to get this out in time for Mondays. But if you guys catch this later, just start watching. It should be entertaining. But, Greg, I got to get a little more detail on these, yeah. these big changes because the league was pretty popular as it was, at least from from where I'm sitting. It seemed that way. Um, so you mentioned this was maybe not your, um, not, not your vision at first, but what was Mm -hmm. the, um, like, what was the driving consideration behind it? What was, I mean, you know, obviously one could conjecture, but I'd just like to hear it from you. I I think future growth, like it, it means that the growth potential is kind of unlimited. It does take away like the kind of some of like the community aspect and the smaller teams having a chance to compete, but the growth at the top. Like and it being like a real kind of feeling like a world championship where there's no limits. You can just put whoever you want in there. I think that's the that's what people kind of want to see in like a world championship event. Okay, so I know chess.com is into the analytics and I know people have told me like, I mean, the stronger the player, the more people watch, basically. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Um, Yeah, so I understand. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a. It's a business, and certainly this will be this will be, be very exciting. interesting. Yeah, I mean, be. tune in the the first Monday, January sixth. Tune in because this match with Nakamura facing off against St. Louis in the grudge match, like he would love to beat St. Louis. That would be like okay, but but they're a little shoot. outmatched, Greg. It, I mean, yeah, but Hikaru, you know, he could play well. He's a good rapid player. This is right? true. So and Sam Sevian's not like they're not that much lower rated than them. On so average what, rating, they're like ninety points lower rated. So it's, it's doable. So what's the uh, what's the format of each match? Um, four against four, ten uh-huh. plus two time control, and all four players like each player on each team plays everyone else on the other team. So Hikaru will play all four of those guys. Okay. Um, At- yeah, and it's man- manageable sized teams. I mean, it should be yeah. entertaining. I like that it's ten minute. Um, you know, I really enjoyed watching the FIDE World Rapid and Blitz. Like these fast time controls. There's just the you know it's nice when when people make blunders sometimes yeah it, it it is when you see them get get to be human you know and but the thing is not just about the blunders they make they also play extremely well at 10 2 like they play exceptionally exceptionally well like the top players in the world like grandmaster level easily yeah i mean they're playing like yeah i mean sometimes yeah. they're playing like hugely instructive games just no totally all the time um so we have different divisions and then what what's going to eventually happen with playoffs and all that stuff. Um, well, there's, there's three divisions of eight teams and basically each division, you just play round Robin against everyone in your division, four teams from each division make it. But I realized that the divisions may be a little imbalanced. So one thing we decided to do was the fifth place team that has the best performance rating will also make the playoffs. So if you get kind of like stuck in that really strong division and you feel like you kind of like get shafted, you still have a chance to make it just by having a really good performance rating. Okay. So that way it kind of like gives us some leeway in terms of forming the divisions and not work because they're, they're based kind of on geography. Um, but this way that strongest division will likely get a fifth playoff team. And then and the top, the, oh, sorry. And the three division winners will get a buy in the first round of the playoffs. 
Okay. And and how long is the season and when will the playoffs be? Um, the playoffs start at the beginning of March and they okay. end for the candidates. Oh, sorry. The final four will happen sometime in May. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's still an announcement to come for that. I can't say much about it, but it's going to be exciting. Can you say if it's going to be another live? I can't say. Man. Can't say. I'm going to call off this interview if I can't get I'm so sorry. But like, <laughs> I'm not supposed to say anything. Okay. Um, but one, I don't know. I, I guess we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah. Anything else we need to know other than tune in, uh, support the Pro Chess League? Um, any, anything else? Um, I mean, any other teams to, w- to watch out for, Greg? Or Well, you know, you can keep signing player, players throughout the season. So, like, some teams at any point, they can just start signing new players. Um, I think, you know, China, India. Like, I think Armenia is actually still going to be really strong. Um, they're not rating wise. They're not like super high, but I know these guys. They're like super strong blitz players in, on Chess.com, uh, like Martirosian and Shant Sargisian, uh, and they're like twenty six hundred feet a. And I, I don't know. I just have a good feeling about that team. Again, I think they're going to surprise people because because they I think were really worried when we got rid of the rating cap that it would it would destroy their team. But I don't I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to make the playoffs still. And have a chance to do well in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Poland. Poland's also a dangerous team with Duda and uh, you know other 2,700, 2,600 players. Yeah, it seems to have the, the close-knit chess community in Poland. And yeah, and they do have strong players. I know that uh, Sako, I, believe, I don't know how to say his name, but Sako was, had a strong <laughs> sure. was on the top boards for a while in the, uh, in the um, World, World Blitz Championship. Oh. Um, so with Armenia, you you mentioned they're not at the top yet. Um, the most notable Armenian chess player, Levan Aronian, is he is he involved in the league right now? He is not yet. Okay, He's, he has not yet joined the Pro Chess League in the first three seasons of the league. But you know, who knows? Maybe this is the year. Okay, uh, one one team I know for sure. One team is specifically trying to recruit him. Okay. We'll see if it works. Yeah. And then some of this, I guess, like last time I had you on, Magnus had just withdrawn yeah. from the Pro Chess League. And well, we know why. Yeah. It yeah. later became clear why. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, there may be... Um, I mean, may- honestly, I, I think he is really sad to have to not... I think he loved playing and it really was hard for him to not play. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, it seems right up his alley. Um, yeah. You know, he likes these. He likes these experimental formats. He likes these, these um, quicker time controls. Which brings us to the next topic that you mm-hmm. were, were kind enough to highlight for me before when oh, we were sure. outlining this interview. It was yeah. very generous of you to suggest that we talk about all the things that you've been <laughs> been right about. Yeah. So I mean. We're, Go on. I mean, we're discussing mainly different formats and Greg's, mm-hmm. you know, in, in previous conversations on the podcast that we've had about um, changes that could be made in the chess world. Some of them are coming to fruition. So what, what have you seen that you've liked in the chess world, Greg, recently? Well, I'm going to go. First of all, I feel so useless now in terms of like talking about new formats because I feel like it's just everything that's smart people are doing. So I have like nothing to add. Mostly, hey, you Whereas, got the you got the no under promotion. It's true, idea. but like it used to be, just everyone's a giant moron about everything, and like you know, I was. <laughs> but now, like these these rapid tournaments, these blitz tournaments, they're taken very seriously by everyone, and people love to watch them. I mean, think about this world, world rapid blitz championship. How exciting it was! It's so fun, and how many people are following it, and how how much attention it gets. 
Uh, and then just the Grand Chess Tour Rapid and Blitz tournaments are also really popular. Um, it be, yeah, I mean, and you, you know, one, the one good thing about the, the open one, the open Rapid and Blitz, is you get guys like Faruja. Like, the, the Grand Chess Tour is a little bit closed off, you know, to these guys who are Rapid and Blitz specialists. Yeah, the opens are my favorite. Yeah, opens are at least more open than like a ten player, the same ten players every time. So, um, so, so go on. And where are you on uh, Fisher Random? I think it's good that they're they're trying. I mean, Chess Nine Sixty. My bad. <laughs> I think it's totally good that they're trying. My gut feeling, I, I like it. My gut feeling is though it's still a ways away from like common acceptance. Because uh, there's still so much room in chess, especially if you speed up the time control for like exciting things to happen. Um, it's more when you only play classical chess that it can get a little bit stale. Um, but I, I love that like people are trying these things. Like the Puzzle Rush Championship that's happening is exciting. Um, Fisher Random Championship is exciting. Like everything, everything interesting and exciting is being tried by everybody. Like it's yeah. just nonstop blitz championships, like you know, with the, the Speed Chess Championship and Chess.com is just like a regular fixture now. Um, all these things that like I've been fighting for, they're just they're just parts of chess, you know. Like there, there's a world championship cycle which is just completely steady and normal, and it and it involves lots of different qualification like cycles, like the, uh, the World Cup and the Grand Swiss. We also have a great leadership in FIDE now compared to the past, which just makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's yes. it's good to see. I mean, there's there's more that more that they could do, but I mean, definitely steps in the right direction. What what, what, what do you think more they should do? Um, I mean, I I want I want more faster chess. I um, I have to admit, with the 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 grand the grand chess tour, it and so many of these like invitational round robins i i they kind of blend together to me at some point mm -hmm. yeah um so i i understand they have a place but i mean i saw some statistics about how many games magnus plays in a typical year compared to to like kasparov in his heyday mm -hmm. and it's like a huge number and, and in this interview with uh mvl um he was complaining basically just how exhausted he was. And I know that during the, um, the knockout tournament, when Svidler was announcing, he was just saying like this, this is an MVL this like, you know, he just had a couple bad games or he just didn't look like himself. And MVL alluded to that. I mean, they're just flying from place to place. Wesley. So um, I was just reading in new in chess talks about how uh, with the Fisher random, he, he almost didn't play because he's so tired and in between events, but he basically decided mm -hmm. since he didn't have to prepare, he'd just show up and see what happened. I mean, these guys yeah. just sound like they're like dazed and confused and jet lagged everywhere. They, I mean, and these are like the sharpest chess minds in the world. So I think that yeah. there needs to be um, less less quantity and more quality in the events and bigger prizes and the smaller mm. events. And, uh, and of course, person, my personal bias is I love these big Swisses and stuff like that and big knockouts. Yeah. I'm just tired of these little invitationals. I think the problem, okay. I think it's first of all, it's a very good problem to have that these top players are getting too many opportunities. No, it's true. Like, so that's number one, a really good thing. But the problem with that is that one particular event, is monumentally more important than all the others, uh, which is the world championship and the candidates. Uh, and so you get the situation where, like, 
it'd be nice to just play in everything and not feel like you're punished for it. But because this one tournament's so important, if you don't perform well enough to kind of like get into that, or if you don't perform well enough in that, um, it's like your whole year is ruined. Uh, so I feel like there's, you know, because you think about like tennis tours and golf tours, like there's not that one tournament that's just more important than everything else by far. Yeah. So like maybe maybe the solution is to kind of, I don't know, find a way to, to, to get rid of that effect. Because you can't ask people not to run tournaments. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, they want to run chess tournaments. They have the money to do it. And the players are going to want to play because they're going to make money by playing. So it's like they have to decide whether they want to make the money or not make that money and slightly increase their chances of making the world championship, maybe. It's really it's a hard problem to answer. Yeah. And I noticed, like, Fabiano, he's he's kept a light schedule. Like, you know, because he yeah. knows... And and ironically, I mean, he he's known he's he'll be in the candidates, but comparatively, he's it's clear where his priorities are. Yeah, it's a good point. What about Ding? He has he been keeping a reasonable schedule too? Uh, I feel like he was pretty busy. I think he maybe slowed down a little bit once he he had his seat. Like he skipped the World Rapid and Blitz, but yeah. um, it, and a lot of a lot of it could depend on like your your personal financial situation too, right? So. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's, it's going to be hard to stop people from running tournaments. I think the yeah. Grand Chess Tour is slightly lowering their event total next year. Am I correct on that? I'm not like sure. one or two. I think one or two events less, but I, I could be yeah. wrong. And MVL was also saying that the schedule was a little compressed because they didn't do anything the first few months and then there was just like floods of yeah. things. So he's saying even if it was more spread out, that would have been helpful. It's <laughs> um, true, but that, that is good for the, the Pro Chess League. Because ah. we have this, we have this phase, this stretch in like February and March, where for some reason that I can't really understand, they don't run anything. Yeah. Uh, same for like January. There's no, there's like the Vikanzi, yeah, or Tata Steel, but like, there's no Grand Chess Tour. There's no World Fide Grand Prix or whatever. So, it really helps our scheduling. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> all right so one more format question for you greg but this sure. one is on more of a micro level it is yeah. from supporter of the podcast uh mark ebers eber sabal mark thanks as always for the support so up, mark? Uh, mark is asking does greg have any thoughts on the u.s otb tournament system how would he improve things what can uscf organizers and players do to help uh, so clarify what what do you think he means by like just like a, i think he means like Swiss. u.s chess swisses yeah well, it depends if you're talking about it from my point of view or from, like, the average tournament player's point of view. I feel like these tournaments are really not geared towards healthy adults. I've always thought this. Um, children thrive. But, like, it's just too much chess and, like, crammed into like one day you know like it's like these six hour time controls and two games in the same day which i just don't believe in uh, i think no game should if you're going to play two games in a day it, sh it should never be a time control more than four hours and even that's like really stretching it when i say four hours i mean like each side gets two hours for right. a game or something like that um I don't know. It's, it's so interesting how they do it in europe and why we can't do it here like why can't we have a nine nine-day tournament with one game a day like as a normal thing well there's the profit motive here i mean 
I think that's less of a consideration in Europe. Um, uh, no, I think it's also like our culture, though. Like people don't get as many rest days, like from work. Yeah, that's uh, true. Which which sucks. Um, is that like the main reason, probably? Well, I mean, I do think. I mean, you're renting a space at a hotel, and it's not clear. I mean, if it's like a big tournament, um, and you can't if you can't just rent it at night, so it's like. But it's just why is that not the same problem they have in Europe? Um, why don't Why don't they care? I think that they're not really putting money into prizes, so I'm. This is conjecture, but I think that that's kind of where the money goes. Like that's their expense, you know. Whereas, yeah. whereas here it's. Um, there's more expenses because the prize the prizes are bigger um but they don't have to be we could just actually i think if we try to do the same thing as them it wouldn't work but i think it's like a cultural difference that americans have yeah no i agree Uh, that it wouldn't work so the so that gets to the other half of mark's question what can like what can people like listening what can people do to help like you know, at the small scale level. I mean, I think demand faster time controls, but like most people, I think don't actually want those. Or like, like if you ask them, they're not going to want it. Yeah. But well, I'm I think, with you. I'm terrible at faster time controls, but yeah. But the longer ones just keep me from playing. I would play the faster yeah. ones because it's like I just I can't like bounce from my family for four days. You know, like yeah. it's just not happening. I, so it doesn't have to be 15 minutes, Ben. It can be like a you know reasonable time control. No, I agree. Yeah, something like you know where you could like ninety minutes for the whole game or something. Yeah, with some with some increment. Yeah, um, but just something so you because here's what's really important to me. Like, I don't think like exercise should be an, a thing you don't have time for. I agree. Yeah, like that's to me that's not an optional thing I do every day. Like it's something I'm going to do every day. If I can't do it any day, every day, like I don't want to take part in whatever activity is stopping me from doing it. Like, cause I feel like that's just not like you need to sleep, you need to exercise, you need to eat, eat normally at like kind of like normal hours. And if you're, if you're running an event of any kind that's preventing you from doing that for like four or five days in a row, the event's garbage. <laughs> okay. But I mean, uh, the, the contrarian argument would be like, yeah. first of all, I, as you say, people don't seem to want this and, uh, you, you know, like the big tournaments over. seem to do quite well. I mean, you know, Goitschberg figured out the business model for making yeah. chess work in the United States. And, you know, there's no one remotely approaching his scale. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that my method would have more people, <laughs> right. more people play. It would make me happier personally. And it would yeah. make me feel like a functional human being at a chess tournament instead of like some kind of total degenerate, you know. So like, would you really play... No, I wouldn't. At this point, I probably wouldn't. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> so, but like you know, there were times where, uh, but I, the fact that they were so like unhealthy to play in is what pushed me away. And now I'm just like too far removed. I think. Um, I, I was. Uh, I looked you up in chess space, and I was reminiscing oh, yeah? about your little your little classical chess comeback around 2011. Yeah, I, yeah, you I had some good, good results. Yeah, I gained a lot of rating points. I'm, I'm at my peak rating because of that. You know? So, so what happened? Why, why'd you change your mind about, I, I mean, mean, I guess we're sort of touching it was miserable, on it. You know, yeah. just, <laughs> um, every tournament I played was generally miserable because you don't like every day. It's like, you don't get to sleep at night and it's just this race against time to get food before your next game. And then to also nap because you didn't sleep well the night before and everyone's sick. There's like 5% of the players are sick, you know? 
Yeah. And like kind of coughing all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now that you mentioned there's, there's a supporter of the podcast who's been emailing me. Um, yeah. I believe his name is Rob Steele. Apologies if I got this wrong. Um, he, the hygiene issue is like a serious thing because um, I can't remember the exact circumstances. Sorry, Rob. I was planning. I'm going to ask a tournament director whenever I interview a tournament director, which will hopefully be reasonably soon. But Rob was saying like, he has a compromised immune system and chess players are such slobs basically (laughs) that, that, uh, it's a serious issue. You know, it's not like, uh, it's not like a mild nuisance. It's like, it keeps him from being able to play. Yeah. So, and actually, and I'm somewhat joking. Chess players players, hygiene has gotten better. I will say, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, it it could always, it could always be better. I don't want to blame just the chess players. I want to blame the conditions that they're forced to play in. Because first of all, the rooms are always like, extremely un- not temperate like we're usually too cold yeah uh and just people it's just you're stressed you don't get to sleep you don't get to eat the chance of getting sick it just goes way up you know your immune system is facing a lot of uh it's facing an assault you know yeah um i don't know so, I, I just I, I think faster time controls would be would be a big help um but I know people generally don't want it, and it's probably not going to happen. And these tournaments are basically doing okay right now in terms of a profit standpoint. But people who listen to your show, you know, especially players in their like, you know, in their like thirties to fifties who still have a job, who aren't retired, you know, it's just they have kids and a family. Like, it's really hard to find time to play because they make it so brutal. Yeah. That's it's my true. theory, at least. That's just yeah. my take. I know other people have had other opinions, but I, I just find it miserable. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of actionable things, Mark, getting back to your question, I mean, I guess you could just try stuff on a local scale, talk to your local tournament director, see what happens. Um, but, yeah. it's um, and, and whatever people's opinions are, like Greg said, voice them to to tournament directors. I know that continental chess, they do send out surveys. It's not like, you know, they're interested, they're interested in what people think. It's just, if things are working, they're not going to change them. Yeah. And you know, he, Greg always told me he would send these surveys and nobody would want faster time controls, no matter what, they would always not want them. So you did talk to him about it. Interesting. Uh, this is a long time ago, like 10 years ago. Cause I couldn't Uh believe it. Cause I was just feeling it's such so brutal. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how it can be that people need that extra half hour at the end. I mean, you see the arguments every time, like your blog posts or whatever, your Facebook. (laughs) I mean, people are always in there arguing. Um, Yeah. But I mean, like, I think the opposite side is slowly winning this argument. At least you can see it in in certain areas, you know, like, like in the, in the, in the rise of rapid chess and the rise of blitz and the rise of all this kind of like exciting new forms of chess. But, you know, there's one or two people who kind of, like, run most of the big tournaments in the country. Yeah. Um, Well, it's I mean, it's good to see it legitimized at the top level. And, of course, we have a lot of international listeners, too. So I'd be curious for what what things are like in in all your countries, people listening. So Mm -hmm. uh, send me a note and and let me know if if there's a better system um, wherever you are. But, Um, you know, I'm also not the best person to ask because I'm really not an active player now. So it's like... I, yeah, that's, I, one, I that's wanna, one of the common critiques whenever yeah. you suggest a format thing. Well, like, I wasn't more active before, and yeah. then it made more sense because it was like right after I'd stopped playing because they were so miserable. But it's been a while now, so I feel like I don't want to 
I don't want to rail against the tournaments too much, but I do think it's a common complaint and a common reason why people don't play. Like it's the chess should be fun, right? Yeah. Like why not be a little yeah. bit fun? I, know I mean, the long be... games in a vacuum, the long games are fun for me. It's just mm-hmm. there's an opportunity cost that's too great, you know. Whereas if, I mean, yeah, go on. If the games are shorter, that's not necessarily the case. Totally. Um, all right, Greg, you ready for some chess improvement? You're you're following Jan, oh, yeah. you're following Jan Gustafsson, who I try not to ask chess improvement questions to, and then when he dispenses advice, I can't tell if he's like trolling people or not, you know. So, yeah. so we we need some some from the heart. Uh, all right, it, it will be from the heart. Okay, I'm very excited. Okay, and obviously, we love Jan, but <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, are you ready to fire some shots, Greg? Well, I already told yeah, you, you about you the, already the fired your main shot. That, yeah. and he, did he even respond to that ever? Off the record, he did to me. But uh, what? Why off the record? Why off the record? <laughs> Basically, he wasn't interested in discussing it <laughs> because he knows he lost, and uh-huh. he knows he he made me delete them from my phone. Uh-huh. Like that's uh-huh. that's what, so. Whenever you see him online, like uh-huh. winning some game, just think of all the games he lost that he didn't put online. You know. Okay. And for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, this is like my fourth or fifth interview with Greg, and we covered fourth, it. I yeah. think, think we covered it in our last interview. Real um, quick recap: I beat Jan in a match. We recorded it. The idea was it was going to go online, and he was like, "No, I can't put this line, this this match online because you won." So, well, it proved to be a savvy career move <laughs> on his part. Can't, can't argue with the results. Um, uh-huh. Team Magnus doing his own shows. So. Yeah, imagine if they saw that. Chessable course. To me. <laughs> Everything would have been different. Um, all right. So question from Patreon supporter Michael Kahn. Michael, mm-hmm. thank you um, for the question and for the support. And he says, Greg, instead of a list of books to recommend, do you have a list of topics that so far lack a good book? And this might throw back to our very first interview. Um when you were going to write a book. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was thinking about something the other day. Like, like just yesterday. Um, like trying to think, what's the difference between me and like a 2200 kid that I'm teaching? Like one of my chess camps who's like unbelievably good at tactics. Who's going to see them all really quickly. And like, how can we quickly pinpoint that difference? And I was trying to think of ways. Now, I know this isn't exactly a book, what I'm talking about. But what I was thinking might be a method would be to, like, go through a game and then just, like, quickly come up with candidate moves in a position. Um, and with next to the candidate moves, though, you kind of write – you have to, like, indicate whether it's reasonable or not. Or whether it's, like, a real candidate move you would look at or, like, an exception. Because, uh, you know, like, there's some positions where – Let's say the original chess position, right? What are the candidate moves? E4, D4, Knight F3, C4. Those are like your four most logical ones that you would look at right away. And then you would look at moves like B3, G3, Knight C3, or something like that. It's kind of like, you know, not the most logical, but, you know, you'd look at them just because. Does this make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. So then you get a normal chess position. And like somebody like me, you know, I'll take a chess position and I'll like, I'll see, like, maybe the position will be just one move that's clearly, like, the most logical move. Or, or maybe there'll be three that are all, like, really reasonable. And I would, you know, think about all of them. And then, you know, there'd be, like, two or three other moves that are kind of, like, you know, you know they're not, like, the most logical choices, but you'd still look at them, right? 
Uh, and then I feel like that's where you might start to see like where people's minds are headed differently. So like they're not just picking one move. They're kind of like judging the inherent reasonableness of moves. Because um, like a lot of time, like a lot of lower rated players with like less positional sense will spend a lot of time looking at a move that like a higher rated player will just dismiss because of some like positional factor. Um, and, you know, maybe they won't even play the move in the end. But I, I don't know. I just feel like there's something to this kind of like quick classifying of moves is either logical or like to the point of the position or critical, you know? Um, Not so, yeah, sure. I, I, that's something I was thinking about. Cause I, I feel like that's how else am I going to see most quickly the difference between me and like a kid, like who's like 2300 and how am I going to be like, not just see it, but like point it out to them so they can see it too. And they can see the clear differences and like what they're thinking about and what stronger players are thinking about. Uh, and it's and sometimes when you just choose one move each, you know they might just keep choosing moves that are decent. Um, but occasionally they'll play a move that like a grandmaster would never play in a million years, usually because of some positional understanding reason. Uh, and, and the, lack of positional understanding. Yeah, exactly. And the and the the, the key would be like how do you like, pinpoint those moments as, as quickly as possible and kind of get them to learn from those moments okay uh, and sometimes it won't even be a move they play it'll be just be a move they consider and they need to know that it's okay to consider that move but the drawbacks are severe you know um i, I and there was a reason i was thinking about this but i can't i can't quite remember why uh, and i don't know how you'd make a book that looks exactly like that but it's more yeah. about like choosing candidate moves and Kind of like having to understand when they're reasonable candidate moves or like exceptional candidate moves that are like coming at a big risk and being able to like verbalize that and kind of, you know, I don't know. <laughs> that's, okay. what, that's what idea I was having. Okay. Like, Any uh, other topics that lack a good book? Yeah. Just uh, opening books that are very short. Those have existed. Um, but they're very rare. You know, any yeah. book in the Nidorf is like 400 pages and it's just like, uh, I feel like it, it just, it, here's the point. If I put my entire opening repertoire against like E4 in a book, it wouldn't be more than 50 pages. Absolute guarantee. Right? Like if I just put everything I actually know. See, this is where E4, your lack of playing, I think, you know, no, we just had Vigorito, I am Vigorito on, we had Jan Gustafsson, these guys, they're not. You know who who made a double king pawn chessable course? They're not. Uh, yeah. They're they're not making stuff up. I mean, I think, I think they're just looking with a little more a little more depth. With a, with all due respect, know. Greg. No, I don't think so. Because I think what, what happens is they're not going to remember like the sidelines that are in their books. I mean, Vigorito did say that he he did say. Yeah. They're not going to remember half the book. At yeah. Least, at least half. So the the point is, like somebody like me, what the player actually needs is what i actually know not right. like what like the absolute truth is in some sideline you're never going to see but like the information that somebody strong chooses to remember because that's the information that's most important because that's what they think is most important not like this complete um encyclopedic knowledge of a book that i've already decided is irrelevant because i'm not going to ever see these lines and i just don't have space in my brain for them yeah. Does that make sense? Like, like, 
I'm, it does. And, I'm, and I used to play tournaments. Like, even when I played, I knew a lot of openings, but I still knew when something was not super important. Like, let me give you an example of a specific line. Okay. So the opening, when I played e4, c5, knight f3. Black can play the move knight f6 and move 2. Right. And you can choose between, like, e5 or knight c3, right? And and both the, the e5 line, I, I think, like, e5, knight c5, I honestly forget how D5. it goes. I'm sorry, yeah, e5, knight d5. I think it goes, like, knight c3, e6, right? And then, like, this weird tactical variation happens and it's super 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 complex and i think if you memorize everything um it is believed to be very good for white but even that like i'm not a hundred percent sure on that but at one point in my career like when i when i tried to make my comeback or when i started to make it i was like you know what if it's winning for white i'm just going to learn it right so i started to do that uh, and you know i memorizing like 15 move lines and it's like you start to realize that if you make just one mistake, you're going to lose. Um, some of the th- stuff that people say is winning, you start to look at it with an engine, and you know you find these sidelines three moves earlier that are like really dangerous, and you don't quite know what to do about them. And so I, I caught myself like spending hours and hours and hours on this move knight f6 and move two in the Sicilian, which I'm basically never going to see. Right. <laughs> um, and just trying to refute it by force, and and by doing that, I'm also risking like disaster. So eventually I, I realized like this is a total waste of time. And what I did was I just came up with a complete novelty and move four. I was just like, I'm just going to play this. It looks fine. <laughs> That's the end. Right. Uh, and I'll tell you the novelty. Everyone can find out about this line. Um, knight f6 on move two of the Sicilian. White goes e5. Black goes knight to d5. White plays bishop to c4. I think this is already a novelty. Uh, black goes knight to b6 to attack the bishop. And then just play d3. Hmm. Defending the bishop. Uh, the engine puts it as like 0.7 for white or 0.6 or whatever, wow. and like you know maybe black's okay, you know probably black's fine. With that's some... very good these days. I mean, it's well, like a... it's move four, you know. Who the hell? Knows? <laughs> uh, right. You know, sometimes when you have a space advantage, the engine kind of um, overrates things a bit. And this was a few years ago engine, but I've done well on blitz with it. And the plus side is is nobody in black knows what's going on, and I didn't waste hours and hours and hours studying some sideline, right? given up that beautiful bishop though yeah you know it's a little weird it's definitely weird but you get like um you know if they take it you take it and then you know you have this like open d file and if they go e6 you can go like knight c3 and knight e4 and i don't know i think it's very reasonable for white like white's probably going to be at least slightly better and you're saving lots of mental energy yeah so yeah i could write a book and write all these try to to make like 10 20-page chapter on how to refute this line, or I could just use your time better. Gotcha. Um, so that's one very clear example of how I optimize my opening repertoire for like practical purposes. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, and Chessable, with their courses, they've started doing these quick starter guides where yeah. ins- instead of what would be a 400-page book, they give you the 40-page version. Um, Sounds great. Sounds yeah, like a good I th- idea. I think, it's a, I think it's quite helpful. So... You know, can I? Can, oh, sorry. I had no. Go ahead. Confession. I have another sad confession to make. Okay. About open. It's just general opening nuggets for people. Because uh, I feel like there is an opening. Oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this in there. There's an opening. It is really underrated for most players. Scandinavian. Um, <laughs> Stop. 
Okay, well, my match against Lawrence Trent, right? Uh-huh. So, so first of all, I know I'm better than him at chess, right? So, like, if we just get a normal chess position, I'm, like, better than him. Um, but, you know, he's, like, this kind of, like, wild attacking player. If he gets the initiative, he's kind of dangerous. Um, and so, like, in E4, C5, kind of, like, Sicilian openings, he has all these, like, attacking lines planned. There is one opening with black against E4, though, where they're just not, there's no way they're going to attack you. There's no way they're going to get, like, use some opening theory to crush you. And it does happen to be the Scandinavian. Wow. So, Great so if you, switching teams. Well, I mean, watching my match, I played the Scandinavian, like, exclusively. After after he would beat me in the Sicilian, I would just switch to the Scandinavian. And and I like to bring the queen all the way back to D8. Uh, you just avoid any trouble. Like, maybe they get a slight advantage. Of course. But a lot do. of... Maybe. No, I mean, because they have to play accurately. So, I mean, I mean, they have one more um, piece out than you. I'm, you know, I um, mean, I know it's a solid opening, and no disrespect, um, but let's not act like it can't be equal. Uh, no, no, no. Of course, objectively, white gets a slight advantage. <laughs> okay. What I mean, what I mean is maybe they get it in the actual game. Like maybe oh, okay. they'll play well enough for 15 moves to get it. Like another example is I played this guy Brian Smith in a Blitz tournament, and he's like a super opening theoretician. I'm like, I want no part of that. So I just play d5 and move one, you know, and I'm like equal one, move seven, and like better and move 12. <laughs> and it's just like um, the Scandinavian. And, and the great thing about it is you can kind of play it knowing almost nothing. Like, you know, if you do know like all the stuff Johnny B knows, like that probably makes it a much better weapon. But you actually don't have to know much because you just develop logically and you're usually going to be okay. Like you, you go knight f6, you bring your bishop out, you go e6, c6. It should be seven castles. And, you know, at worst, you're slightly worse. But you have a solid position and you're not getting checkmated. So I don't know. There's going to be some people shaking their heads that saying it's because you're a blitz player. Like, if, you know, you see all the top no, guys. Don't. The top guys will play it in the faster time controls, yeah. but, but they won't play it in classical. Uh, it's tough. To, yeah. I mean, you, you basically play it if you're scared of somebody like crushing you in the open Sicilian. And, yeah. And also, I, like, none of the people listening. I mean, you know, Magnus, thanks for listening. But the rest of you, <laughs> the rest of you, <laughs> the rest of you aren't 2700s either. So, you know, you could probably get away with playing it even in slow games. Um, oh yeah, I, mean, I think I could totally get away with it against almost anyone. Like I, I think I just play it tomorrow, knowing nothing against somebody in my rating, and have wow. totally, totally great chances. Man, I smell a prop bet. Uh, I mean, I think it's actually a good, a decent opening. I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know why I'm saying this. It's it's boring and miserable. But... Wow, this is chess Reddit's going to go crazy. <laughs> oh. I don't know. It's just like here's the reason why I think that I hate to play against it. Like, yeah. there's nothing I want to see less than the Scandinavian because you just don't get any targets. I think that's what it is. You don't get, like, a clear plan. You don't know exactly where your play should be. You have, like, a little more space, but it's kind of like this nebulous thing, and you don't know what to do with it sometimes. Okay. All right. We got a lot more questions to get to. Sure, right. sure. So let's we got to keep, it, keep it no moving. More, no more Scandi talk. <laughs> uh, Michael Kahn, part two, yeah. says, uh, Greg, since you became an IM, who's the youngest player you've lost to in a serious game, and what was their age? Since I've become an IM, I, I honestly don't remember exactly, but I can give some guesses. It might be Alex Lenderman, because he was the, it was a game 30, and I, th- I know he, I was the first IM he beat, and he was young at the time. Um... That's so, my, how, how, so he would have been like 11 God, or like 12? 11 or 12, yeah. But it, yeah. Was, it was game 30, you know? It wasn't like a tournament game. Um, when I made my comeback, I didn't... I don't think I lost to any kids. Like kids meaning under 14. Right. Um, I usually good against the lower rated people. Hmm. 
But but Lenderman, I was the first IME beat, I think. And maybe I'm forgetting some other wonder kid that beat me, but that's the first guy that pops out, pops into my head. Okay. Yeah. Sounds plausible. Yeah. All right. Next question is from the most recent supporter of the podcast, J deep, J deep. Thank you for the support. And he was following up. I did a recent book recap podcast, uh, with Todd Kennedy about reassess your chess and we were texting a little bit, Greg. It sounds like you maybe haven't read it. Have you read Reassess Your Chess? Um, that's a good question. I've seen the Reassess Your Chess workbook, if I'm not mistaken. And I think I've definitely looked at Reassess Your Chess. Okay. It's a fun book. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's not, not really for your level, but um, worth checking out for for teaching materials, especially positional stuff. So mm-hmm. in the book... Um, well, I'll read the question. He says, with all 10 imbalances in mind and analyzing the board based on that, is it practically possible? So just to clarify, uh, Jeremy you know, Soman. Sorry. I actually feel bad because it, it's what you're talking about right now. Um, somebody mentioned chess books that should be written, uh, position, more positional puzzle books, like you yeah. know, books with a thousand tactics in them. There should be a thousand puzzle, a uh, thousand yeah. positional examples. And, and just to give an example, like I ha- just to make people – like know the type of work I do in like the U.S. chess school. I have a six thousand pa- uh, puzzle database where the you can search the database and like categorize them by like um, theme. And there's like hundred themes, two hundred themes. A lot of them positional themes. So like you can search night maneuvers. There'll be like one hundred fifty puzzles that just pop up. Uh, so you should have giant giant books like this released regularly. Um, and they exist for tactics in in great numbers, but not really for positional themes. Yeah. So that's like something that should be more. There should be more of that. Anyway, that's all. You can uh, continue okay. with the imbalances. So there's ten imbalances that Soman lists and reassess your chess. And he says to always think about them. So mm-hmm. I think JDeep is asking if it's possible to really think about ten things each move. And here are the imbalances. Um, just for you and anyone listening: uh, superior minor piece, pawn structure, space, material. Control of a key file, control of a weak square, lead and development, initiative, king safety, and statics versus dynamics versus dynamics. So you're saying, is it possible to think of those? Yeah, to like keep all those in mind. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes, and, yes and no. So like for me, it's just automatic. Like I don't have to think, is there an open file that I'm controlling? It's just like you just think about it without thinking, right? It, you don't have to think, do I have better development? It's just... It's just something that comes naturally because of um, years of experience. Uh, and it just, you know what I mean? You just kind of feel it. You, yeah. you, I don't have to go through some checklist. Yeah, I, I just, subconscious. Whenever, yeah. whenever anything changes in a position with one of those important themes, I notice it right away. Um, so, what I th- uh, so the question he's asking is whether that's like kind of unrealistic. Is that... Yeah. Am I getting is it, that right? Is it, is it practically possible? Um, so what I think Soman's goal is, so first of all, I think he's teaching, he's, his books aren't aimed towards like raw beginners, or maybe they are. But what he's trying to do, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, is make these um, decisions turn into like automatic processes. So like at first, before they become automatic, you have to like really think about them a lot. Um, I'm not saying that like these imbalances and thinking about them is the best way to go about learning this stuff. I'm not sure that I agree with that or it's how I would teach somebody, 
but you know it's it's interesting um can you list them again like weak square for example like that's one that lower rated players don't take as seriously as higher rated players uh, and I know because when I was a kid, I was like maybe 1,500, and my dad was analyzing a game, and my dad's a strong player, Fide Master. And they, t- they kept talking about, like, oh, this move loses such and such square. And I'm like, are you joking? Right. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean, loses a square? <laughs> you know? I, I'm thinking about losing pawns, knights, bishops. Uh, so I kind of, like, commented on how funny it was that they cared about a square. But now it's like, Obvious, of course, like a weak square is like a total disaster. Um, so at that time, I didn't quite get it. Now I do. Um, and I know that was one of the imbalances, right? Weak squares. Yeah, control over weak square. Yeah, so now I don't even, like, I don't have to think about it consciously. As soon as there's a weak square, it just like my brain lights up and it's like this obvious thing that I'm focused on. Um, open file, same thing, right? Um, material, everyone kind of know what the material is most of the time. Uh, let's go through all 10 of them. What were the other ones? So I'll read them in order. Uh, sure. su- superior minor piece, okay, construction. So, oh, no, look, slowly. So superior minor piece, I feel like that's one that you just, yeah, you just kind of like notice it. Like you just train to think, are my pieces better than my opponents? And, you know, if they're bishops behind a pawn chain and yours is like active, you just kind of, Notice that, but the the way to notice it is to spend a lot of time looking at positions with, you know, a bad bishop versus a good bishop or a good knight against a bad bishop, you know, and then at some point it, it becomes like this automatic thing that you just, you're trained to recognize immediately. Gotcha. Um, pawn structure, that's obvious. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all the same. It's just like you you just, you hone in on these things one at a time. No, I mean, probably his book's not long enough to like give you the type of training you need to really focus on each one of these imbalances. I mean, it is 700 pages. <laughs> oh, that's, that's longer than I realized. Okay. Um, but, like, you know, it, it takes a lot of time to, like, master something. and to, like, like, weak squares, I didn't think of them when I was 2200, I don't think. I don't think I explained, talked about chess in a way where I would be talking about weak squares when I was, like, a master, when I was, like, 15 or 16. It just wasn't... You know, I was good at tactics and stuff, but, like, I, I still wasn't, like, um, great at, like, verbalizing stuff like that. Yeah. And the, uh, J-Deep, the quote I read from I Am Sagar Shah in, yeah. um, in the, the recap of Reassess Your Chess, he talked about what a formative book this was for him, and mm-hmm. he talked about how he utilized it. And he basically made it sound like he basically sat there and looked at the list and you know, then would think about a position and then would look at the list and think about a position basically like you have a checklist. Mm-hmm. And based on what you're saying, Greg, it does sound like that might be you know, in a training environment, not a bad idea to, exactly. to help, help internalize these ideas. Um, yeah, and at some point it just becomes an automatic process. Yeah, know? and Sagar like, in the, in that quote, I mean, he said it took him a a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Like, that's time. how it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like think about when you shoot a free throw, right? There's probably all these like little minute steps you go through, like with your shooting form and how you're supposed to stand. I don't know, uh, and you know you have to think about them a lot at first, but then it just becomes automatic eventually. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. All right, uh, another question from Mark Ebersabal. Um is chess a sport? <laughs> um, I would err. I would say no. Okay. 
do I? I mean, I, I just don't. I don't know. It just doesn't yeah, seem like a personally, I, it doesn't. It's not an issue that animates me. I have to say. Yeah, I, I also don't buy these calorie. Uh, these oh yeah, that cannot be right. That can, that cannot be right. Yeah. The, there's this big got a lot of play ESPN article about mm-hmm. uh, how many calories. I'm just for anyone who didn't see it listening. Um, how many calories elite chess players burn? And they were saying like it's, I don't know, it was like the equivalent of running seven miles or something like. It, like playing a tournament chess game mm-hmm. um i've seen many overweight chess players so well i mean you can be overweight running you can but it's not about that i just it just i don't know i, I just don't buy it <laughs> yeah i the, uh i just don't i mean it's just hard to believe yeah i'm not a scientist you know maybe yeah. maybe someone I, out I'm there i'm not a scientist too but. but this reporter wasn't a scientist either and exactly um, um all right I mean, I'll link to the article. People can form their own conclusions. Everyone who uh, disagrees with my dismissal, you know, feel free to drop me a line. Um, all right. Now, the you, Greg, you, you had a stipulation when you come on the show that you'd be able to talk about whatever nonsense you want, um, which we'll, hey. we'll get to in a second, although we're running uh, long. But oh, uh, you got to ask me. Okay, go on. Oh, you want me to ask you nonsense questions? Well, I don't know. I mean, all right, anyway, continue. Okay. Well, first of all, we have a couple questions from... Vyacheslav Nemec, who I believe you know. Oh, Vyacheslav. Yeah, yeah, of course. The manager of the new Croatia Pro Chess League team. Yes, he works hard, I know, managing that. And reading a lot of books, as it turns out. He had a really good post of all the books he read last year. Chess and otherwise, uh, quite impressive. Um, So, Vieco asks the million-dollar question. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I don't don't know what it's going to be, but I'm excited. (laughs) What exactly does Greg do for a living? I don't know, man. (laughs) All right, honest, honest truth. Uh huh. Hmm. Well, right now, okay. So, how do I put this in the most simple terms? I'm like kind of retired. I mean, I do still make money. Like, you know, I worked for chess.com running the Pro Chess League. I, you know, I run the U.S. Chess School. I am. Um, I get money from other things. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but like, I. What's this? I get money from other things. Um, Okay, I'm going to tell you my philosophy on on money. All right. So, like, I used to play poker, and you know, I used to play like two, three hours of poker a day. Right. Uh, And, you know, I was doing really well. I was doing good at poker. I made a lot of money. Um, And at some point, like, you look at how much money you have, and you, you ask yourself, do I need more? Uh, and, and, you know, my threshold for how much I need is, like, a lot lower than most people's. Because uh, I didn't really plan on having children, and I don't I don't like to wait. I don't drink. I don't, like, waste too much money. Although, lately, maybe a little bit more. But I'm not, like, I, I really value my free time and, and just ability to, like, just do stuff and not have to worry about making more and more money, right? So, at some point, I had this certain amount of money, right? And then I asked myself the key question. What would happen if I lost half that money overnight, would it affect my lifestyle? And I was thinking, it was like basically the answer was no. Like maybe a little bit, I would just feel like a little less stable, but I would still kind of do the same things that I would do every day and I would not have to like kind of um, like resist doing certain things. So once you, I feel like once that's an answer, like once losing half your money is like not a big deal, um, suddenly you probably shouldn't be working very much. 
Uh, and then you get in the situation where like you have money invested and it just happens to go up, right? Like, because the, the market's been doing pretty well over the last, like, like 10 years, I guess. Yeah. So to be specific, you put a lot of your money just in like Vanguard funds, basically, right? Like I, index funds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then like uh, there was an event that happened that caused my amount of money, which was already like pretty high. It went up by like 50%. Um, and so then at that point, it's just like, okay, I, you know, I, I mean, I still make money. Like I still yeah. do get like, some amount of money from like actual like i don't know work i guess you would call it like you know running the pro chess league is work but it's like a passion of mine so sometimes it doesn't feel like work and like when i teach a u.s chess school camp i mean it's technically work but it's and you run the program too i mean yeah i honestly i get almost nothing for running the program but when i do when i do coach a camp i do pay myself like an instructor's fee um but like is that really i mean it is work but it's like what I love to do more than anything in the world. So it just doesn't feel like work exactly. Um, but for the most part, I just don't worry about money because I know that even if I lost a large amount of it, I'd be fine. Um, okay, so there you have I, it. You work I, some I mean, and you're I, drawing, I, drawing down your savings a bit, basically. Uh, I, but I'm not because things keep going up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like house values go up. You know, it, like at some point, some catastrophic thing could happen where you know like the market crashes and everything crashes and i lose half my net worth and then then it's like a little different my situation but like i've managed to not work really much for like the last 10 years and the the, the market's just been going up enough that it hasn't mattered there's probably a lot of people listening now who hate you even more now greg but... yeah i mean it's just i'm sorry <laughs> sorry but i think it's a decision like okay some people have the decision some very select people could make the decision not to work as much, but they don't kind of see it as an option. Um, I, I understand though. I'm very, it's a very privileged place to be. Okay. Well, oh, I... oh and the last thing is Lawrence Trent just keeps donating money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's, that's nice. Every few months I get the, like the, the Trent donation. <laughs> That's very funny. And that ties into Vieco's second question, mm-hmm. which is if there will be another grudge match against Lauren Trent, and how do you feel about failing to adopt him twice already? Failing to adopt him? What's that mean, like winning every game? I think it's 10 in a row or something. I, I, I right. know it's it's in the internet vernacular, but I'm not 100%. All right, first of all, think about this. If I'm beating this guy 10 nothing, do you think he's going to come back and want to play me again? Ah. And give me more money, you know, like fund more of my international vacations? Think about that. I remember the last match, he had a he had a serious early lead on me. Like it's a match to twelve or something. He was up like six to four or something like that. I really thought I was gonna lose. I thought he had my number that day. And then he lost some game that was just like oh, amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. I don't know how he lost it. I feel I have to admit, I feel uncomfortable whenever you guys talk trash about each other. It always exactly. feels like you know, Magnus and Anishkiri have their like top level trash talking. Yeah. And it do- doesn't feel as personal somehow. Yeah, like they're, it makes, they're, makes, they're best friends. Yeah, I think they secretly are. And it, it makes me cringe a little bit when you guys, because I've never met Lawrence personally. He was uh, on Perpetual Chess a long time ago. Seems to be a good, you know, fun ambassador for chess. Strong, yeah. ch- strong yeah. chess player. 
Um, and then like Simon Williams. Well, and all, I, again, I, dis- I have I dispute, met Simon Williams. I dispute the strong chess player. And part, they seem to on. really dislike you, and it bothers me because <laughs> because you're you're actually a nice guy, but you you can be very obnoxious online. So, um, I mean, I'm obnoxious. They're obnoxious. <laughs> like I'm I'm sitting here playing Lawrence Trent, and Simon won't shut up. I don't know why he. I haven't played a match against him yet. See, this why. makes me uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> You should you should play a match against Simon though. That would be fun. I mean, if you kept it, you know. Peaceful. Here's here's the problem though. I mean, this is Simon already played Lawrence in a match, and Lawrence won. <laughs> so okay, but it's not like you crushed Lawrence. Like you narrowly beat him. Well, you know? I mean, okay, narrow narrowly beat him is a strong word. But I admit that like I could have won by more. Like it's possible to have beaten him by more. Um. Listen, I, I admit, Simon's a really interesting chess player. You know, he plays like this really fun style chess, really inspirational. Um, I'm not going to take that away from him. You got to give him props, right? But I don't know why every single time I play Lawrence, he wants to put some giant side bet against me. Like, yeah, doesn't seem doesn't seem wise in retrospect. Yes. <laughs> Did, yeah, did you I, bet on? Did you bet on me against him? Or is that, or is I, I, that somebody else? Whenever I have an opportunity, yeah, All I right. do. Okay. Um, I've just learned, to, as I've said online, never bet against the shahadi. If you were Jenner betting on something, you know, you <laughs> tend tend to be pretty good at handicapping things. So, um, you know, and it's not, you know, I was trying to, I was saying to Hungoski, like, if you if you played Hikaru in a blitz match, you're not going to be putting up thousands of dollars of your own money, you know? Oh, Even do you want to hear, though, about my betting against Hikaru match? Yes. So I gambled. Uh, I beat Hikaru in the psychological mind games. This um, is like how many years? Because I was... How many years ago long, was this? Long time ago. Okay. Uh, I was like... God, it was the US Open in Phoenix. He definitely wasn't 20 yet, but he was like... He was already the best blitz player in the country, I think. Um, I didn't know it yet. I didn't know how good he was. But like we're at the Skittles room. It's maybe like 2004 or something. I don't know, 15 years ago. Maybe a little more recent than that. And he wants to play me in Blitz. And so I'm like, okay, let's play like three-minute chess, $5 a game. And, you know, I'm just playing because I'm happy to play such a great player and donate $5 every game. Um, I, it was either 5 or $10, I think. But you know what he then said in his response? He was like, well, how about I give you three to one time odds? Hmm. And then you know what I said? I was like, okay, but then let's play $100 a game. And then he backed down. <laughs> he would have probably crushed me. Because <laughs> he yeah. beat me so bad. In three. He beat me, I think, like 12 to one or something. Wow. Um, and he, I, was, I mean, I was, I'm good. Like, I mean, okay, we know how good Hikaru is now, but, like, I didn't realize he was that good. Like, there was not many people who were just going to trash me like that. Um, now there's so many, like, amazing Blitz players that it's not so unbelievable. But it's, Yeah. Um, also, I feel like it's, I mean, an ICC existed then, but it's more quantifiable with all the online sites. Uh, yeah. Looks like that US Open was in 2005. That um, sounds about right. Yeah. And like, I felt good though that I got him to back down because I was ready to play him for $100 oh, a game. But I thought the story was going to be you actually beat him. It's no, just no, you... God. Oh, okay. I just, I got him scared. He wouldn't put the money up. He was like, okay. oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> 3 1, no, no thanks. Okay. Um, but I, I do think he would have been a favorite against me in 3 1 in retrospect. Before that, I, I actually thought I was a favorite before we 
when I said hundred dollars because I just who's going to give me three to one? But I think I think he could have done it. Yeah, and uh, you know your financial situations might have been differently. It might have. No, no, he was scared. Let's just say he was scared. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Greg. So we're out of listener questions. Oh. Uh, um, I know you wanted to talk some nonsense. So do you have any uh, pop culture well, recommended? Well, Wait, oh, you got something burning to say? No, I don't like how Jan Gustafsson comes on the show and gets just gets to talk about nonsense all the time. Like, Listen, why, why I mean, there's no, I there's no, nonsense? there's no you, documented video of you beating Jan. So, you know, he, well, he's big time. Direct, he could, he could talk about whatever he wants, but, but you, you know. direct the nonsense with him. Right? Like, do you have <laughs> questions about the nonsense? Like, well, it tends to be the same nonsense. You know, for one thing, he listens to podcasts, which you don't which is very on brand here for a podcast, but right. I mean, comedy stuff, movies, uh, Netflix, you know, so, so what does this mean? What am I, give me, give me some help. It's lead me towards okay. the nonsense. Uh, what is, uh, what is the best TV show you've watched in the past two years, two years. Come on. Okay. We all know the wire is the best show ever, right? Okay. We're not breaking any ground there. Boom. In the last two years. Now, you know, Somebody busy like me. I don't have that much time for TV, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I have seen some really good shows, though. I'm just forgetting all of them. <laughs> you know what I really like? Oh, this is kind of so. It's not, I'm not as good as Jan at this. I like oh, he's humans. very good. I like the show Humans. You know, it's very nice. Oh, nice show. show. All right. I can ask you about something insane that you said on Twitter once. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Do it. Um, you were lamenting the fact that you couldn't watch uh parks and rec on your phone in the shower not parks and rec it was a uh, 99 brooklyn 99 oh yeah okay that could be Bro- brooklyn what's yeah whatever it's called yeah. the cop show um yeah. so you went to twitter for tips and you ended up uh this could be tmi i apologize listeners but uh you ended up taking your phone in a ziploc bag so that you could watch uh What's that? What is the exact name of that show? Is it Brooklyn Nine? I don't know. I stopped watching it shortly thereafter. <laughs> it's know? funny, so that you could watch it in the shower. Well, yeah, that's what happened. I bet you know you just put your phone in a ziplock, and you, that way, while you're showering, you can watch something. It is Brooklyn Nine Nine, but you know yeah. it's good for the brain to rest, Greg. Mm-hmm. You know, I you know, you're it, a big CrossFit guy, interval, a interval training. Sleep eight hours a day. <laughs> okay, that that's not enough. That alone is not um, enough. I had a like a, a one or two week phase where I watched stuff in the shower. I no longer do that. Okay. Um, yeah, but you I'm... know, here's the problem. I would start watching something and I would be like, I need to shower, but I'm like watching this thing and it would distract me from showering. Uh-huh. But then once I got the Ziploc bag thing down, I can then go into the shower, continue to watch the thing and get done, you know, finish the shower. We've got to change the subject. This is just too disturbing. All <laughs> right, uh, have you read any chess books in the past two years? Oh God, I'm the worst. Well, Jan never probably read Reese chess books, right? He's yeah, he he admitted that. So have I? You know, I like I'll glance at something, but I like not going to read it from cover to cover. Um, I saw something. You know, I was reading something in my house the other day. I felt very, I felt very refined. It was this book written by Tao, Mikhail Tao, on his his match win against Botvinnik. Ah. I was reading all his notes, and I was like, wow, nineteen sixty, like, yeah, yeah. I just felt like this kind of like Renaissance man, like reading <laughs> reading this. Uh, Historic chess match from from Mikhail Mikhail Tal's uh, point of view. It was interesting. It's okay. interesting to see how they approach stuff. And and when you when we were kids, when you were getting better, mm-hmm. I mean, I know when like uh, Inside Chess and New in Chess would come. Oh, was Inside ex- Chess! An exciting event in your family. Inside um, Chess, a, such an amazing magazine. It really was good. Shout, shouts to uh, John Donaldson and 
Yes, or Sarawan. Um, but you guys, what was your general approach to reading books? I mean, you were in the unique position of having your dad be like a, a great player and coach, but... Yeah, it was um, useful. Um, um, as a kid, we did a lot of tactics books. Like that was the main main thing, which was just drill tactics constantly. Yeah, now you guys um, were ahead of the curve on that. Yeah, I think that's why it helped me to get good. You know, <laughs> um, what I you know I would just read chess books for I would just kind of like glance through them and read stuff. Um, I probably like, I learned some stuff from Osmosis. Yeah. And you read opening really. books for sure. That's my recollection. Like. You, you oh, know, totally. Gr- Grunfeld and all that. Well, I mean, maybe I told this story before, but like one time when I was like 14, I was at chess camp and I was not quite a master yet. I was like 2080. Uh, this guy, Vivek Rao, was, was coaching me and I was showing him some game I played in Dragon. He was like, what would you do if I went here? And he was like, I don't know. He was like, what do you mean you don't know? This is like the mainline theory. I was like, I don't know. It's like, And he was just very blunt. He was like, if you don't know this, you can't get any good. This is unacceptable. You have to know your openings better. And I went home and studied openings hard, got master like a few months later. So hmm. that was the story. first time I studied openings like hard. Like I got a notebook. I, I went to the book. I, I, I kind of pinpointed what the most important lines were and everything. I wrote them down. I memorized them. I had never quite done that uh, on my own. This was self-motivated pretty much. So like it wasn't like anyone making me do it. It was just like I, you know, I had this strong player telling me this is what I need to do to get better. And so I, in the past, I've I've talked to players like that before too, hoping it would kind of like wake them up, like not kind of like, you know, I knew he knew I was decent, but like, I would tell players like, if you don't learn your openings better, you just just only so much you can do, you know. So at, and, at what level does that like uh, mainly uh, become an issue? I think two thousand to twenty two hundred. Like okay. there's a, there's a bunch of players around that level where there's just giant holes in their openings for some reason. Some players know their openings well at that level but there's some that are just kind of like they play mainline stuff and they just don't know something that i know even though i don't even play their opening and i'm just like yeah you can't you can't not know this it's just you're just you're limited in how good you can get if you don't know this and it's also a bad sign because it shows they don't take just studying very seriously so it's like um that's the thing okay good advice although anyone listening who's like i don't know i feel like my personal opinion 1800-ish is a gray area, 1800-ish mm-hmm. to 2000. But below that, um, I don't think it's that important. Totally. I was playing the dragon, you know? So it, if you play the dragon, it is important. But if you play like the London London system for white or, or like the French, there's certain openings like you can get away with not knowing openings as much. And I yeah. think it's nice to play openings that you don't have to know too much. The Especially in today's day and age with all the computers and stuff, it's just like, it just wastes so much time when you have to play these sharp openings. Um, but I'm not sure that's correct. But it, it is it is it is a huge time sink, like playing the sharp openings these days. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's relentless. Um, all right, Greg, I think we're done. All right, I, I feel like I didn't do enough random talk, but you know, what am I? I mean, do? but you know, we're ninety-five minutes in. We'll no, you... no, I know. I mean, what can I do? I need to listen to Jan and prepare and like, really, <laughs> really study his work. <laughs> He's one of a kind. You got you got your work cut yeah. out for you. Um, all right, well, so Pro Chess League, January sixth. Tune in, support professional chess, entertaining matchups, Hikaru and Fabiano, and. Uh, you know, Wesley So, so many great players, Anish Giri, Young Phenom, uh, uh, Ali Faruja, 
um, should be fun. On Hope- Monday, on Monday, I think we have six, if not seven, 2,700 players playing on the same day. Um, Maybe Amazing. Eight. Yeah, so good stuff. Yeah. Three days a week, lots of entertainment. I apologize for any facts I've gotten wrong <laughs> about uh, um, Alexenko and nutrition and how many <laughs> calories you burn in chess. But uh, Alexenko's the best. He's going to do great. I hope, I mean... He's a good player. I don't. Yeah. By the way, I guess before we end, like I think all these players are great. Like Deary, like obviously great player. I love his personality. I love everything about him. It. I was just saying, it surprised me that I, I just didn't realize he was that high rated because you, you feel like he just doesn't. Like he kind of doesn't win things, but like obviously he's outrageously good at chess. Yeah, I mean, and it's because he's always playing the best players in the world. You know, it's hard well, to win. The- if I always played the best players in the world, my, I wouldn't do that well. I gotta yeah. Be honest. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's a good note to end on, Greg. Yeah. Um, what Geary is the best? So you still got? Are you still doing the Instagram in addition to Twitter and Facebook? Oh yeah. Okay. I'm so, a little less active on social media these days, but I'm still, I'm still around. Okay. People can track you down. Um. All right, Greg. Well, thanks as always, and good luck with the upcoming season. I'm sure we'll check in with some pro chess league participant during the course of it. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. I can't um, wait till next year. All right, we're gonna we're gonna um, work hard on the pop culture talk before all right, all right. before our the next conversation. Whole show of pop culture. <laughs> They'll love it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> thanks, as always, to my producer Matthew Passy for making Perpetual Chess happen. I also want to thank all you guys and girls who helped me grow Perpetual Chess. That includes everyone who tells a friend about the show, everyone who writes a positive review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, whatever other podcast platform you may be on all of it is appreciated and all of it keeps me going but of course most of all i want to thank the people who provide financial support to the show i would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities they are chessable quality chess books the capital city chess club the apprentice twitch channel andrew bach austin clough benjamin porto kathy carr chad oliver Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Greg Natel, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, John Cromarty, John McCarthy, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, Lone Pine Chess, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Kahn, FM Michael Oplin, Mike Zelazny, Moonmaster 9000, Peter Sodi, Reuven Fisher, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, and Todd Kennedy. And I would also like to thank the following people and entities. They are Aaron Waffler, Ace Fayega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, FM Andre Terakov, Andrew Perry, Better Chess Training, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Day's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas of U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramley, CEO of Chessable.com, Dalen Shelton, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Alec Donnie Ariel, the Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Schut, Harish Srinivasan, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Moore, 
Jason Anfang, Jason Wollum, J. Deep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Jerry Wells, J.J. Stranod, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jordan Goodwin, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kowutsky, Krishna Kapala Krishnan, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyovsky, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Miguel Araspidi, Mike Clem, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Swainy, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Roy Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwalder, WGM, Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyrin Price, Victor Vrinkouj, Wayne Beam, William Brock, William Juniper, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, Zhivko Stoyanov, and that is everyone. Thanks, everyone. Catch you guys next week. Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.